Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Well, let's get into God's word together. Well, last week we began a three-week sermon series called Worship One, Two, Three. We have one object of worship, we have two contexts of worship, and we have three audiences of worship. And last Sunday we started off with Worship One, which is one object of worship. And in the message we explored three questions. We asked the questions, what is worship? Who are we to worship? And how are we to worship? And we found that worship is much more than singing. It's much more than even our Sunday morning services. We, We saw that worship could be defined as valuing or treasuring God above all things. And God's word also challenged us to to lay down any idols in our lives so that we have one object of worship, which is the Lord. And lastly, we learned that we must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, we must know the God of the Bible, the God that we're worshiping, and our hearts must desire to worship him. And two funny things happened uh, last Sunday that I wanted to share with you. Um, Right after our last service, our our video switcher ran down to the hallway and approached me. And our video switchers are the guys that um, take care of our live stream out to the internet. And they are awesome and do such a great job in serving. But he came up to me and he said, Pastor Scott, I really, I messed up really bad. And I'm thinking, oh no, the live stream crashed, something, you know, something happened. And he's like, you know that part in your sermon when you were, you were talking about Jesus' role in our worship and how you're not the worship leader of the church and Pastor Matthew isn't, but Jesus is? He said, at that very moment, I unintentionally threw up your title on the screen. So as I said, I'm not the worship leader of this church and Pastor Matthew's not the worship leader of the church. Jesus is, it says, Scott Brown, worship pastor. <laughs> Well, there was another funny thing that happened. So when, when I got home, I sat down on the couch, I went on Facebook, and somebody in our congregation posted an A.W. Tozer quote about worship, which was awesome. And her post said, perfect timing after today's sermon, and then posted the, the quote. And so I, I was pumped about it. I'm like, sweet, somebody actually listened. That's awesome. And so I commented, and I said, you're preaching next week's message. And What I meant by that was that quote perfectly set up the message for today. But what she interpreted as, I was calling her up on stage to stand up here and preach the message. And and she replied, oh, good gravy, nobody wants that. And then I then clarified what I meant. But the quote that she posted, it, it really does perfectly align with today's message. So I thought I'd share it with you. A.W. Tozer says, If you do not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him on one day a week. There is no such thing known in heaven as Sunday worship unless it is accompanied by Monday worship and Tuesday worship and so on. And that is the heart of the message today that we should not just be worshiping on Sundays, but every day in our lives. Psalm 145 verses 1 and 2 says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. 
And the title of the message today is Two Contexts of Worship. And those two contexts are what we will term worship gathered and worship scattered. In other words, we are to worship when we gather together with our fellow believers on Sundays, and we're also to worship the Lord when we scatter to our various neighborhoods and and schools and workplaces. Worship gathered and worship scattered. And you may have heard the phrase that worship is a lifestyle. And today we'll look at what that means and what scripture has to say about it. And our main passage for today is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And I believe in that passage, the Apostle Paul is instructing us how to properly worship in the gathered context of the church and also in our individual lives. So we're going to read that together. And if you would just stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. So it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I just pray that you would, uh, Lord, just open our hearts and open our minds to what you have for us today from your word. And God, I just pray that you would teach us what it means to be a living sacrifice and how we can live out our worship in our everyday lives. God, be with us and speak to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, we see in Romans 12, verse one, that God tells us that in order to worship him, we must be a living sacrifice. And Paul doesn't mention anything about singing here. He shows us that worship is all about sacrifice. And that's the first point in our message today. God is calling me to be a living sacrifice. God is calling me to be a living sacrifice. And that that phrase seems a bit strange, living sacrifice. How can you be a sacrifice and yet still be living? God here is giving us a worship oxymoron. You know what that is, right? Two opposite words that are used to describe something. You may have heard oxymorons like jumbo shrimp or same difference or passive aggressive or pretty ugly or my personal favorite, Microsoft works. (laughs) You can guess I'm probably an Apple user. 
But back on track, a living sacrifice, what makes this an oxymoron? Well, we have to flip our, our Bibles back to the Old Testament book of Leviticus to understand this. In Leviticus chapters 1 through 6, God gives the Israelites instructions on how they are to give him offerings. And many of these offerings involve the sacrifice of an animal. And I'll let you read it on your own, but trust me when I say to you, these animals were not treated nicely they were, they were slaughtered, they were cut into pieces, they were burned and more. And bottom line, they were dead. So, so when Paul tells us that we're supposed to be living sacrifices, it, it seems a little odd. When something was sacrificed, it was killed. Now, thank the Lord that because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and giving himself as our eternal sacrifice, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore but that doesn't mean that worship no longer requires sacrifice. And Paul sheds a little light for us on this in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I, have, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And, and, and what Paul is talking about is not dying physically, it's dying to self. We must each day deny ourselves, pick up our crosses, and follow after Jesus. We need to surrender our wants and our desires and our needs and our plans and, and obey whatever God has for us. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. And wouldn't it just be easier to sing? Yeah, it would. And I think a lot of us kind of get, get stuck there. We want, we want to sing and praise the Lord, but being a living sacrifice doesn't sound all that fun. We want the singing without the sacrifice, but unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. True worship requires both. We can sing and praise God, but if we're not giving ourselves as living sacrifices, our worship is not pleasing to God. And this isn't in the notes, but... Over the weekend, the Lord just really impressed on my heart this passage of scripture in Amos chapter five. And in this chapter, the people of Israel, they continue to, to, to practice their regular religious rituals. And yet, they completely turned their backs on God's law. So they kept doing all these religious things, but they weren't living it out. And Amos five verses 21 through 24 says this. I hate, I reject your festivals nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream." In today's context, this verse might read like this. I hate, I reject your church services. Even though you give your tithes and your offerings, I'm not going to accept them. Stop playing your worship songs. I'm not even going to listen to the sound of your band. But start obeying my word and living out your faith. Those verses are really sobering. And they're a serious reminder to us that we must be living according to God's word in order for our worship to be acceptable to him. The Greek word used in Romans 12.1 for the word acceptable also means pleasing. And if we want to please God with our worship, 
we must be a living sacrifice. And notice as well in Romans 12:1 that our act of sacrifice in worship is it's a response. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God. See, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in, in response to Christ because Christ offered his body as a living sacrifice for us. Christ demonstrate, demonstrated God's mercy in bearing our sins on the cross and saving us from sin and death. And worship at its very core is a response to what God has done for us. So we need to be living sacrifices, but what does that look like in our lives? How do we become living sacrifices? And we're going to spend the rest of our time together just dealing with what that looks like in two contexts. So we're going to deal with it in the church and in our daily lives, or in other words, worship gathered and worship scattered. And we're going to first focus on worship scattered, which brings us to the second point in our message today. God is calling me to be a living sacrifice every day. God is calling me to be a living sacrifice every day. And we've seen that worship is, is more than just singing, but the scripture shows us that worship is also bigger than what we do on Sunday mornings. We spend 75 minutes each week gathered together with our church for worship, but we spend another 6,645 waking minutes per week worshiping with the rest of our lives. And we've got a, a picture on the screen here, so you can, you can see this. So worship gathered, those 75 minutes, they consume 1% of our week, whereas worship scattered consumes the other 99%. And I hope this gets the, the point across that, that we're not to just worship on Sundays, that God is calling us to, to live out our worship in our everyday lives. St. Augustine said it best when he said, don't let your life give evidence against your tongue. Sing with your voices, sing also with your conduct. Living God's way can be a tough thing though because it's often opposite to the ways of the world. Romans 12 verse two gives us the key to how to worship God in our everyday lives. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And in this verse, we see two things that we must sacrifice as an act of worship. And the first thing that we must sacrifice is we must sacrifice our Actions. I must sacrifice my actions. And the Greek word for conformed in Romans 12 2 means to shape your behavior. So what Paul is saying is do not shape your behavior after the world. As believers, the way that we act should set us apart from our culture. First Peter 2 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has indeed set us apart from the rest of the world, and he's called us to be lights in the darkness. But being a light is not always easy, and sometimes it requires sacrifice. Have you ever been, been in the dark before and then all of a sudden somebody turns on the light switch? Ah, it's uncomfortable. You cover your eyes, you squint. And our, our three-year-old Sammy um, sometimes wakes up well before the rest of the household. And so he gets out of his bed and he starts yelling from his room, Daddy, I'm awake. Come get me. And I may not be ready to get up yet. And so I'll, but he won't stop. And so I will go to his room and go and get him. And occasionally 
I will bring him into our bed. And so I'll get him into our bed and I'll get him settled. And, you know, and I might fall back asleep and get a little bit more sleep, which is great. But a few times now, he's waited till I fell asleep and he's gotten out of the bed, gone over to the light switch, turned it on and said, Mommy and Daddy, time to wake up. As you can imagine, we aren't too thrilled when he does that. And the same thing happens when a believer shines the light of Christ into the darkness of the world. It's bright. It's uncomfortable. The world's not happy about it. And it will do everything it can to, to, to shut that light off and remain in the darkness. John 3, 19 and 20 says, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And the light that this passage is referring to is, is Jesus himself. And as we saw play out in his life, the world hated the light so much that they crucified him. And the world doesn't want us to be set apart. They, they want us to conform to their ways. And the ways of the world are often opposite to the ways of God. You see, the world says get. God says give. The world says be selfish. God says be selfless. The world says satisfy yourself. God says serve others. The world says take advantage of people. God says to love people. The world says be comfortable. God says to suffer for righteousness sake. The world says take shortcuts. God says be faithful in the small things. The world says, tear others down. God says, build others up. The world says, complain. God says, be thankful. The world says, live for the here and now. And God says, live for eternity. Do not be conformed to this world. Commentator John Phillips said, the world has its fads and fashions and they change with each generation. Its mold exerts pressure on us all, not only in such relatively minor matters as dress and diet, but in such far more serious areas of life, such as morals and ethical standards and religious beliefs. And the sad reality is that, that many Christians and, and even some churches in our culture today have allowed the world to influence their beliefs. And in many ways, they are conforming to the world. But as believers in Christ, we need to keep on shining our light, no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, even if we stand alone. But as we stand, we must always stand in love and humility, never in pride and self-righteousness. We are called to demonstrate God's love to those around us, not to push them away or condemn them. And choosing to live according to God's words Word instead of the world's ways is a powerful act of worship. So we must not only sacrifice our actions, but the second key to living a lifestyle of worship is that we must sacrifice our thoughts. So I must sacrifice my thoughts. In the first part of verse 2, Paul deals with our outward actions, as we've seen. He, he deals with our behavior and, and how it should be different from the world. And in the second part of verse 2, Paul deals with our inner thoughts, and desires. And the latter part of Romans 12:2 says, "But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect." 
In this passage, Paul uses the word transformed to contrast with the word conformed. We are not to conform to the world, but be transformed into the image of Christ. And Paul uses the present tense in the Greek for the word transformed, which points to the fact that this transformation, it's an ongoing process. It's it's not just a one-time thing. Worshiping God with our lives is a choice that we must make every single day. We need to wake up and remind ourselves that we are to be living sacrifices. Now, I was at a worship conference a few years ago, and I attended one of the breakout sessions, and it, uh, the guy that was teaching the session, his name was Tim Timmons. Yes, that's his real name, Tim Timmons. And uh, Tim actually has a really, really cool story. I'd encourage you guys to Google it, but he was diagnosed with terminal cancer like 10 years ago, and he is still living and serving the Lord. It's an awesome thing. And we actually sing a few of his songs here on Sunday mornings. One of them is uh, Cast My Cares. Uh, but, but anyways, um, a- as Tim was talking, I noticed that there was something on his wrist. And we got a picture here. Um, So that's Tim. Tim is right there. And you see that on his wrist, there's a a little black X. And I I was kind of curious about it. And and he explained that every single morning when he wakes up, he takes a black marker and he writes that X on his wrist. And he does it to remind himself that today is not about him. Today is for the Lord. And that X reminds him throughout his day that he needs to die to self and live for God. I think that's just a great example of what it means to be a living sacrifice every day. So this transformation that Paul is describing needs to be ongoing. It needs to happen day by day. But how are we transformed? Paul gives us the answer by the renewal of our minds. And in many of Paul's letters, he focuses on the mind. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Well, why would we do that? Because our mind governs our actions. And if we let sinful thoughts creep into our minds, eventually they will turn into sinful actions. And the same is true, though. If we focus on God's word and get God's word into our minds, then it will result in God-honoring actions that align with his will. And it's no wonder why Paul encourages us in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on those things. We are to worship God with both our thoughts and our actions. And in doing so, it can produce in us a lifestyle of worship. So what does that look like in our everyday lives? You know, let's, let's give kind of a hypothetical scenario here. So, so say you go to work and you find out that your coworker has done something to intentionally sabotage your career. And so they can get ahead in their career and you look really bad in front of your coworkers and your boss. So your natural human impulse is probably to tell that person off or to figure out a way that you can get back at them. You know, but, and the thing is, if you dwell on that, that's probably what you're going to end up doing. But we're told in scripture that, that we need to surrender those thoughts and we need to be a living sacrifice. And so when those thoughts of anger and revenge come into our minds, we need to seek the Lord and surrender to him and ask him to show us how we should deal with that situation. And God calls us to love our enemies. So maybe he'll direct you to do something nice for that person or just sit down with them and have a civil conversation about how what they did really hurt you. 
And when God controls our thoughts, we can then follow with godly actions. That, that's what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. That's the way we worship God every day. Well, in verses three in our everyday lives and to how we are to relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's moving us away from worship scattered to worship gathered. And this brings us to the third point in our message today. God is calling me to be a living sacrifice on Sundays. God is calling me to be a living sacrifice on Sundays. And just because worship on Sundays only consumes 1% of your week, that doesn't mean it's not important. We may only gather for 75 minutes each and every Sunday, but in every one of those 75 minutes, we have the unique opportunity to do something that we haven't been able to for the rest of the week. There's something powerful that happens when God's people gather together to worship him. And worship scattered and worship gathered, they're both vital to our spiritual lives. And I want to just illustrate that for us, how those two can work together, worship gathered and worship scattered. So I have a pitcher of water here. I also have an empty cup. And, and I think how mo- uh, many of us uh, approach Sunday mornings is like this. We, we come with this empty cup and, and we're coming and, and we really want the songs and the sermon and all the elements of service to just fill us up. So you come to Sunday morning and, and you hear the worship songs and you're singing and enjoying that and oh, it's really speaking to you and oh man, that, that's a great fill for me. That was a great encouragement in the Lord. And, and then the sermon comes up and, and you're, oh man, that guy just related to my situation. That can get me through this week. This is a great, great encouragement for my faith. And that's another fill. And then on your way out, you have a conversation with a friend and you're going through a tough time and they pray for you. And oh man, that's, that's awesome. That time of fellowship and just encouragement. That's awesome. Man, my, my glass is full. This is great. I'm going to go out and have my week and it's going to be awesome. The problem is, the cares of this world will slowly drain us throughout our week. And so, maybe on Monday, you have a fight with your spouse. And, oh man, that was, that was a tough one. Uh, that, that's a big drain for me. And, and then maybe on, on you know, Wednesday, you go in and, and your coworker is just a jerk to you. And you're just, I don't know how to deal with this. This, this is a drain. And then your kids... Your kids, you're just like, oh my goodness, I don't know. They are trying my every last bit of patience. And then all of a sudden you come back on Sunday and you're like, I'm empty. I need more Jesus. Come fill me up. But what if, what if you worshiped God every single day of your life? So, so on Monday, Monday morning, you, you open your Bible and you read it. And you, you spend time praying to the Lord. And, and maybe even you sing one of the songs that we sang on Sunday. And oh man, that was a great time with the Lord. That, that just filled me up. And then Tuesday you do the same thing. And then on Wednesday you gather with your small group. And that's a great encouragement with other believers. And then Thursday you get back in God's word. And then Friday you do it again. And then Saturday. And all of a sudden you come to Sunday morning. Your cup's already full. And, and what can you do then? You can pour out your worship to the Lord and you can also serve others in the church and pour out for them. So I'd encourage you that instead of coming to be served and coming to be filled up, 
It's, I'm already full, and I'm coming to worship the Lord and serve the church. I'm no longer a consumer being filled up. I'm a contributor pouring myself out for others and for the glory of God. So, so what does it look like to be poured out on a Sunday? In verses 3 through 11 of Romans 12, Paul shows us three things that we must sacrifice as an act of worship on Sundays. And the first is pride. We see this in verse 3. It says, For the, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And Paul is writing to the church of Rome, and apparently they're having some issues. Many in the church of Rome were, were prideful, and they thinking that they were better than other people. That doesn't happen anymore, does it? Surely that was just an issue in the Roman church, but Paul is urging the Roman church, and by extension, us today towards humility, reminding us that though we're all different, we are one in Christ. And pride can cause devastating consequences to the church as a whole, but it can also affect your worship on Sundays. And maybe for you, pride begins to creep in when we start to sing. Maybe you don't like the songs. Maybe you're self-conscious about your singing voice. Maybe no one around you is singing, so it's just easier to just not sing. There could be a myriad of reasons, but most of them stem back to pride. And the thing is, guys, I'm not saying this just because I'm the worship pastor, but singing is not optional. It doesn't matter if you have the voice of an angel or you can't hold the tune to save your life. God instructs us to sing. Psalm 33, verses 1 through 3 says, Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Singing's not just, not just encouraged, it's commanded. And we sing to celebrate who God is and what he's done in our lives. And we sing to, to, to express the unity that we have with each other in Christ. And we sing to, to minister to one another and to get through hard times. And don't let your pride get in the way of the blessing that it is to lift up the Lord in song. Well, maybe pride is hindering you from clapping your hands or raising your hands to the Lord in worship. And scripture encourages both. Psalm 47, 1 says, Oh, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with the voice of joy. Psalm 63, 4 says, So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. I love Psalm 141, 2. I think it hits the nail on the head for this message. It, it says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Maybe raising your hands is a sacrifice for you. It's, it's out of your comfort zone. It's uncomfortable. But the fact is, it's, it's a powerful expression of worship. And you ever wonder why people raise their hands in worship? Oh, that's that's kind of weird. That's just for the emotional people. No, it's a natural expression of both surrender and of victory. It's a natural human expression. What do you do when your favorite sports team scores? Woo! You celebrate. You put your hands in the air. It's an expression of celebration and victory. Well, what happens when an army is defeated and they wave the white flag of surrender? What do they do? They put their hands up in the air. 
It's, it's a natural response. And it's a powerful expression of worship when, when we can put our hands in the air and celebrate the victory that we have in Christ. And also, we can put our hands in the air and, and just express our surrender to the Lord. Don't let pride get in the way of expressing your heart to the Lord in that way. And with it being Father's Day, I want to give a personal challenge to all our dads. And sometimes as, as guys, you know, we can have the mentality that, you know, singing and closing our eyes and raising our hands, you know, it's a little over emotional. And, and to be honest, as guys, we're not always great at expressing our emotions. But as fathers, if you truly want to teach your kids to worship the Lord, you have to model it. Kids love to sing, but you need to lead the way. And when parents, particularly fathers, don't sing and don't engage in worship, it often leads kids to have indifferent responses, not only to worshiping the Lord, but to also other aspects of their faith. So as we sing together on Sundays, make sure that you are modeling for your kids what it looks like to worship the Lord. Don't be afraid to look foolish or, or sound off key. You're teaching your kids how to worship. I think that you'll also find that if you sing worship songs with your kids throughout the week, that you'll find your experience on Sundays is much richer as well. Well, we need to sacrifice our pride. And the second thing I want us to see is that I must sacrifice my preferences on Sundays. I must sacrifice my preferences on Sundays. Verses four and five of Romans 12 says, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And the fact is God made us all differently. You might like chocolate ice cream. I might like vanilla. You might like warm weather. I might like cool weather. You might like Taco Bell. That's unforgivable. (laughs) We're all different. In the church, we need to find unity in our diversity. As I mentioned just a moment ago, our, our times of singing and worship can be an amazing demonstration of our unity. We're all singing together as one voice but it can also cause much division. Satan wants nothing more than to divide and conquer. He wants to create factions in the church and conflict because divided we are weak, but together we are strong. Jesus prayed for us in John 17 for that very thing, for unity. He says in John 17, verses 20 and 21, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And don't let something as inconsequential as the musical styles or the age of a song get in the way of unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And verse 10 of Romans 12 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. And sometimes we need to sacrifice our preferences for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ and also for those who we're trying to reach with the gospel. Pastor, uh, worship pastor and author Mike Cosper says, if the gathering is about building up and encouraging the church, then a song I don't like presents an opportunity to love and encourage others whose tastes differ from mine. And our worship services, they're never going to please everybody. So We must be living sacrifices when it comes to our preferences. And that even applies to me. I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. 
I don't love every single song that we sing on a Sunday morning at Crosslink. What? Scott, you plan the songs. How could that be? It's because I care more about the truth that we're singing in those songs and how that supports the message of the sermon and really how that might connect with our community here so that, that you guys can connect your heart with the Lord. You know, and, and even there was a song this morning that we sang that's not my favorite song in the world, but it perfectly illustrated the message and so we, we used it. We must all sacrifice our preferences at times to build each other up. And no, I'm not going to tell you which worship song I don't like. <laughs> well, we've seen that on Sundays we must sacrifice our pride. We must sacrifice our preferences. And the final thing that we must sacrifice is our time. You guys thought I was going to be another P, didn't you? <laughs> Sorry, Pastor Matthew. When the cat's away, the mice will play. <laughs> Romans 12 verse 11 says not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. What, do, what does that mean for us practically? So when we are getting someone a cup of coffee in the lobby, or when we are handing uh, a worship guide out to somebody, or if we're running slides for the service, or dare I say it, if we're changing a poopy diaper in the nursery, you are worshiping the Lord. And God instructs us to serve each other. So don't just come to worship through singing, come to worship through serving as well. And it may look like we have all the people we need here at Crosslink, but I can assure you that is not the case. There's always a spot to invest and serve. And if you're not currently serving, I just encourage you to pray about how God has gifted you and use those gifts uh, to serve here at Crosslink and for God's glory. And we have an awesome opportunity even just in the next couple of weeks to serve for VBS and, and help communicate the gospel to these children that will be coming. And so just whatever it is, just take some time to pray about it and then use that connection card in front of you in the seat back and sign up to serve. Well, as we wrap up today, we, we've seen that we can be a living sacrifice in our everyday lives by sacrificing our mind in our actions. And, and we've seen how we can be a living sacrifice on Sundays by sacrificing our pride and our preferences and our time. And I want to close the message today with, with just a story of someone who in a very real way was a living sacrifice. And I believe this story to be the second greatest act of worship in all of history. And it took place on a mountain called Moriah. And it involved a man named Abraham and his son Isaac. And last weekend, uh, uh, I mentioned the location of the Samaritan temple was on Mount Gerizim, but do you remember where the Jewish temple was? Mount Moriah. And this story is so significant that the Jews built their temple on this site. And we find this amazing account in Genesis chapter 22. And if you don't know the story, let me, let me just kind of catch you up a little bit. So God promised Abraham an heir, a son who would be named Isaac. And the only catch was that Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were over 90 years old. They were kind of past the childbearing years. But, and when God actually told Abraham and gave him this promise to, to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah actually bust out laughing at God, which I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> but nonetheless, God delivered on his promise. And Sarah bore the name of son, and they named him Isaac. And, and God went on to use Isaac to build the nation of Israel. 
And now fast forward to our current situation in Genesis chapter 22. God performs this absolute miracle in giving Abraham a son, and now he asks him to do the unthinkable. He, he asks him to sacrifice Isaac, to kill his one and only son. Can you imagine giving up something or someone that, that God has promised to give you? And he asked you to kill or destroy them? You, you think God had gone nuts or, or, or at least that he was contradicting himself by giving you one thing and then, and then taking it away. But God knew that Abraham loved Isaac a great deal. And who wouldn't? God blesses you with a son miraculously in, in your old age. And of course Abraham would love him. But God knows that mankind has the tendency to love what God gives them, sometimes over the one who gave those things to us in the first place. Abraham was being tested to see who he loved more, Isaac or God. And when God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham didn't question God or complain or try to get out of it. He simply obeyed. And the very foundation of worship is, is obedience, and Abraham chose to worship. He obeyed even to the point of raising the knife over his son's helpless body. Abraham was willing to surrender every part of his life to God, demonstrating that he would worship God no matter what. Well, well what about Isaac? During their journey to Mount Moriah, Isaac questions his father and he asks him where the lamb is for the sacrifice. You know, Isaac knew something was up. Something is not right here. But he trusted his father. He trusted him to the point of allowing Abraham to tie him up and lay him on the altar. And the scriptures don't say that he struggled or fought back. He willingly obeyed and submitted to his father even unto death. And as the knife was raised, God stopped Abraham and he provided a ram that was caught in the thicket to take Isaac's place. Warren Wearsby says, Isaac willingly put himself on the altar and would have died in obedience to God's will. But the Lord sent a ram to take his place. Isaac died just the same. He died to self and willingly yielded himself to the will of God. When he got off that altar, Isaac was a living sacrifice to the glory of God. And what can we learn about worship from this story? We can learn that God wants every part of your life to bow in submission to him. And like Abraham, we need to surrender all that we are and all that we have to the Lord. And God not only wants our surrender, he also wants our obedience and our trust. And like Isaac, we must be willing to put ourselves on the altar and just trust God's plans for us. And what better to, way to honor or worship God than to say, I trust you completely. Whatever you want from me, whatever you need me to do, I will do it. John Phillips explains, Mount Moriah represented the highest possible pinnacle of surrender for one and the highest possible pinnacle of sacrifice for the other. We need to surrender and sacrifice ourselves to the Lord. And that is our spiritual service of worship. And I mentioned a few moments ago that I believe that to be the second greatest act of worship in all of the Bible. What is the first, you ask? Well, John Phillips tells us, there is only one peak higher than Mount Moriah in all of scripture. And that is Mount Calvary. 
Jesus surrendered himself in complete obedience to his Father, and he gave himself up as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. There is no greater demonstration of worship in all of history than the cross of Jesus Christ. The knife never fell on Isaac. It instead fell on the lamb. It fell on Jesus, the holy lamb of God. But the good news is, is that just like Isaac was literally a living sacrifice, so is Jesus. Yes, Jesus died, but the fact is he rose again and he is alive and he will be forever be our great living sacrifice. And the fact is that the starting place for worship is at the cross. Without the cross, we could never please God. We could never worship him fully. It's only through what Jesus accomplished for us that our worship can be acceptable to God. And maybe today, you need to start there. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You've, you've never trusted in him and trusted him with your life. Maybe today, you need to surrender your whole life to Christ and be saved. Well, maybe you have been saved, but when you look at your everyday life, you can't really honestly say that you are a living sacrifice. Maybe you're doing life your own way, or maybe the world's way and not God's way. I'd like for us to just bow our heads and, and close our eyes. If you've never trusted Christ to save you, if today you need to start at the cross, I just invite you to, to take a step of faith. Take a, take a step of faith and just raise up your hand. Nobody's looking around. And if you would like to make that commitment to Christ, to give your life to him, to follow after him and ask him to forgive you of your sins, then make that commitment to him today. Well, maybe today you are saved, but... You're struggling with being a living sacrifice. You're, you're struggling with denying yourself and living for God. In your everyday life, are, are your actions and your thoughts backing up your profession of faith? Are, are you actively living out your faith? Are you being conformed to the world? Maybe you're struggling with being a living sacrifice on, on Sundays. Are you making it a priority to be here? to engage in the service, to show up, you know, on time and be here or to just show up when it's convenient and just go through the motions? Are you actively engaged in serving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you coming to be filled up or are you coming full, ready to pour yourself out to the Lord and for the good of others? If you're struggling to be a living sacrifice, whether it's in your daily life or on Sundays, I just invite you to raise your hand as well and I would love to pray for you. If that's you, just raise up your hand. I'd love to pray for you. God, I just thank you for Jesus. I thank you that, that he provided for us the greatest example of worship in giving himself, giving his life for us, that we may be forgiven and set free from our sin. And God, we do desire to follow after him, but being a living sacrifice is sometimes really tough. It's hard to deny ourselves. It's hard to give up our wants and our needs and our desires and, and to live for you and to trust in you with everything that we have. 
But God, I pray that you would help us with that. Help us to live out our worship each and every day of our lives and honor you in that. And I just pray that as we gather as your church on Sundays, Lord, that, that we would love one another well, that, that we would walk in humility, that we would give preference to one another and that we would serve you faithfully. So God, I just thank you, Lord, for this time we've had together. I just pray that you would work in our hearts and our lives today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.